We are starting our second episode of Church Planting on the Asking for Me podcast, and I'm excited to have Jenny Barker with us this morning. I had originally sent something out on Twitter just asking if anyone would like to discuss church planting and their experiences as we were getting ready for this series. And uh, Jenny contacted me. She said, you know, I'm not a church planter, but I've been involved in three different plants and just have a lot of thoughts on good, what was wrong. Uh, And she sent me a link to her blog and uh, one particular blog that one post that I just really loved. And so I, I said, absolutely, I want to talk to you. And so I'm really glad that we're getting to have this conversation this morning and I'd also like to say that I, I, I think part of what we're going to talk about is that, uh, you know, church plants do tend to take on the personality of whoever the leader is, whoever, whoever the church planter is. And one thing that gets lost a little bit in the shuffle is who are all the people that are coming, just, you know, the, the congregation, the, you know, lay person, if you will, who comes in through the doors and, and is supporting the effort of the church plant. And I think their voices can get a little bit lost. And honestly, you know, we we as women certainly know that feeling in in our complementarian circles. Um, and so I really am very interested in talking more to people who uh, are not the church planter or the church planter's wife and who are not the elder, um, maybe the elder's wife, uh, who who come in and just have a lot of experience and knowledge and discernment and wisdom that I think we really need to heed and, and pay attention to. So um, so all that to say, I'm really excited to have you on here, Jenny, and I'm looking forward to this conversation very much. So all that by way of introduction, I'd love to uh, just have you share a little bit about who you are, what you do, why you care, and what brought you here uh, to this conversation? Well, thank you so much for for having me on here. I really appreciate it. Let's see, just a, a way of introduction. I um, my name's Jenny Barker. I live in Western North Carolina in the mountains, and I have been married to my husband Matt for thirty four years. We have four adult children ranging in age from 26 to 32. I have a very extroverted, um, high energy granddaughter who's 10 and a half. I've been a realtor for 21 years here in the area. And I grew up in East Tennessee, but we've lived in Western North Carolina for over 30 years. I love my dog. I love my dog lover. I'm probably better <laughs> with dogs than with people. I love dogs and coffee and books. And if I could do anything in life as a career, I'd be a storm chaser. Um, <laughs> I also tend to to tell it a lot like it is. So sometimes I you know my husband's very much a, an Enneagram nine peacemaker type. And sometimes he's like, oh no. but he's he's learned to to embrace that side of me (laughs) he's fine with me being on here like you said uh you asked about church planning experiences and and I'm not a I'm not a church planner I'm not a pastor never been to seminary but I have been part of three different church plants in three different denominations over the past 
26 years. And so I've, I've learned a lot from, from that. So I hope that I can share some of my experience and some of what I've learned. And as we all know, you often learn more from your negative experiences than your positive ones, certainly from more from your failures than your successes. And I've, I've been involved in these circles a long time. I became a believer right before my last year in high school. And I was part of the PCA from 1985 until 2016. So we were in a lot of PCA circles until just the last few years. So that's part of why I follow so much of of what you do in your work, (laughs) because I really appreciate it. But do you want me to just start with giving an overview of, of the three very different church plants? Or where do you want me to go from there? Yeah. Uh, well, for, first, I want to ask you about the title of your your blog when you sent it to me. <laughs> I laughed. Ah. So, so, yeah, tell me a little bit about where that came from. <laughs> my, the name of my blog is Cheetos for Breakfast. And people are like, that's hilarious. And why did you yeah. name it that? <laughs> and this all came up probably 20... Over 20, well, over 20 years ago, I had four little kids and a friend of mine called up and she was almost in tears. She's like, I feel like such a failure as a mother. I let my daughter have a Pop-Tart this morning and I know I should be feeding her bed or, you know, all this angst over not parenting right. And and I, I just said to her, honey, Mary had Cheetos for breakfast and she was like the sigh of relief that she, she wasn't the only one who wasn't being a perfect mother and going by some script. There was such a sigh of relief. And I had noticed over the years that when my friends felt like failures as a mother, they were calling me because I, I usually made them feel better because I was, you know, I was doing everything by the seat of my pants too. And so I kind of thought, well, that's kind of my role is to talk about life as it really is rather than this curated curated way of, of parenting and of being, you know, out in the world. And so that became the name of my blog. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. And Yeah, you know, and it's a good metaphor for how we do kind of, I I think it has broad implications even beyond like being a mom, you know, just being a Christian and being a believer, like as a follower of Jesus and trying to just get it right all the time and kind of that burden of, oh man, I really biffed it that time. (laughs) And, and just this kind of angst that that you're describing around that, like just beating ourselves up that we're, that we're not, not just getting it right, but, but that there's something fundamentally wrong with us that we're like, I'm such a bad mom. Like that's, it's such a crushing thought to have, right? The kingdom of God hangs on whether or not your kid will sit still in a high chair. Right. And right. the kingdom of God is so much bigger than all that. And that stuff just really doesn't matter. And I have talked a lot, a lot of what I talk about are the pressures, especially within Christian circles that are so oppressive on parents 
to the point I say of being abusive, spiritually mm-hmm. abusive to parents in terms yeah. of having to do everything the right way. But that's yeah. that's an entirely different branch of yeah. that's a different rabbit trail to go down. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I, you know, I do think it ties into this idea, you know, of of spiritual authority and the spiritual authority that we have as parents. And one of the things that you said, and this is a good segue into some of the more specifics of your, your blog post that I just really loved. It's called Church Planting 101 and just some of your thoughts on the needed self-introspection, if you will, of of leaders, of church leaders saying, have I done the soul work for myself to be an emotionally and spiritually healthy leader? Yes. And then I'm acting out of that health in order to plant this church. And I really, I I loved that you kind of broke that out in the ways in which church planters can tend to kind of come in and say that this is how it's going to be. I, I have all the the answers. I've studied all the models. I, I know how this is supposed to go. I went to that that class and seminary on how to play a church, right? And so now I know what to do. And so I'm going to come into this situation and tell you all how we're going to do this without doing all that work of, of you know, you at one point you said, deal with your own junk. And I just, I love that because it's, if you don't know yourself, you don't even know what your own junk is. It's like, how how are you then going to minister out of a place of of health? Just being aware of of what you're bringing into this church plant as a church planner. On that note, uh, last week I, I talked to someone, a church planner, who we talked a lot about um, the idea of gentrification and about coming uh-huh. into a neighborhood and completely changing the way the neighborhood is. You know, whether just it's just throwing a lot of money at it or, you know, not really getting to know the area first and trying to find the ways that that area can be, how it can flourish and, and thrive um, based on what it already is instead of completely changing the, the fabric of the neighborhood. So I'd like I'd like to talk about you, you said uh, from what you wrote, talk to people who have lived in the city for a long time. Talk to those who know the lay of the land. And I really, I love that. I highlighted it, circle it. Maybe talk a little bit more about your experiences with that, whether it's all three of your church plants or or just if one particularly did this. One of the things I've been trying to talk to people about this, and you mentioned it also in here, like this cookie cutter model. Like I'm coming in with this cookie cutter. It's worked in other places. And it may even be a specific brand. And so you kind of come in with this brand and you say, this is what we're going to do. It's kind of like a McDonald's. We're going to open this McDonald's because everybody loves McDonald's and we're all going to just do the same thing. So if, if you could, uh, what what have you, what experiences have you had that kind of brought about what you said there about just talking to people? That specifically geared toward the second church plant I was part of, um, which was from 2015 to we officially left in early 2020, right before the pandemic. But this particular church plant was a collaboration from two churches, one in the both in the middle part of the state, two well-known churches, one with its own church planting network. 
we were told early on it would be more of a non-denominational church. It actually was a Southern Baptist church plant. But anyway, what they did was we got interested because we really liked early on some of the rhetoric they were using of we want to come in, we want to love people. There wasn't that typical culture wars rhetoric that so many conservative churches have and that we were really weary of. And so we were we were excited about the prospect of a group of people coming in and we're going to we're going to love the people of Asheville. It's like wonderful, wonderful. That's that's what we need. This particular group of people what they did was they had a a group of 25 or so on a launch team coming from another part of the state. And I think maybe only one or two of them were over the age of 30. They had done, I think, probably some demographic research and talked to a handful of pastors of Baptist churches in the area, but it doesn't, they didn't, I, from what I could tell, talk about what does, do the people in this town actually need? One of the things that was concerning early on was, was this rhetoric of we're going to come to Asheville because it's such a spiritually dark place. And it's like, eh, we just, we don't put on the window dressing, but I don't, I don't, think I would say it's any darker than any other place. It's it's just not typical Bible Belt here. Mm-hmm. And what seemed to be was that they came, they they said, we want to be a different kind of church, which was wonderful. Early on, one of the first sermons the pastor preached was those people out there in Asheville aren't your enemies. Go out there and love them which is, I never heard that in a church here. You know, that was that was a beautiful thing. Another thing he had said in a sermon was, let's be weird out there together. You know, Asheville <laughs> has a lot of weird people. We <laughs> too, that's okay. Let's go out and love people. But that didn't last very long at all. And it was pretty short order when it, it became obvious that, that this template was coming down. I don't know if it was pressure from the church planting network or what, but those of us who had lived in Asheville a long time and who knew the lay of the land, we knew the, the people that were here and what the needs were, we were not consulted about things. Any consulting they did, they went back to their church planting gurus four Mm -hmm. hours away to discuss things. And we were kind of left in the dark. And as time went on, more and more red flags were were popping up here and there. And, you know, I got the impression that this particular lead pastor felt the, the need to perform. And the more there was the need to perform, the more there was putting down a template of what we're going to do here. They, it was like they were storming the the walls of this dark city with tools that were forged in everywhere suburbia. And Asheville is not everywhere suburbia. It's a very different kind of place. 
And that's why we like it here. It's a different kind of place. I did start seeing a lot of people who didn't fit inside the box were getting cut out of the equation because they didn't fit inside the box. I didn't fit inside the box. I, I think a lot of damage was done with that. No, you, you bring up a lot of those kind of, you know, maybe they're not red flags, they're at least caution flags, right? Um, when a church comes in with this template, as you said, or like this cookie cutter, like this worked well in XYZ, but um, here we are in this other place and we're just going to do what we did there. And there's, there's so many so many issues with that rise like you're explaining and when you you try to do that in a town where there there is a lot of history there's there's a lot of I mean I I, I forgot to tell you this earlier I my cousin actually um had been in Asheville for a little bit and, and he, he's a pastor and I'd love to <laughs> I don't think he's involved in any of the plants that you mentioned but <laughs> I forgot to ask him <laughs> like oh no is she talking about my cousin I don't I don't think that he's currently planting a church in Virginia and I love him to death uh he and his wife are both amazing and would resonate with everything you're saying so, I, you know, I think uh, what, one of the issues that, that you're getting at, like this idea of kind of researching an area and, and collecting this demographic information about people, but not actually ever talking to the people, the actual people. And that's so problematic because we, we've all experienced this, I'm sure, um, you know, you read some sociological study about a group of people that you're actually part of. And, and there's always something that's like, well, well, that's not quite right. Yeah. You know, well, actually, <laughs> you yeah. know, or, or we, we have all these, you know, not all people are like that, but, you know, and it's in those like subtle differences that I think okay. ministries kind of lose the plot really. I mean, they okay. can, they kind of come in and just say, well, we're going to ignore that. We're just going to go forward with what we're already doing or what we think is best. In what you wrote, uh, the, this part where you're talking about getting a clear idea of what the church is and then what the church can offer and is it something that the community actually needs? Mm -hmm. And is it something that the community wants? Right. Some churches will offer something that nobody's asking for, except, you know, this very niche group of people who are either coming out of churches because they, they had trouble at their last church and are just looking for something else. Or they're, you know, people like you're describing where they've they've come out of another town, another, you know, coming out of a big city, uh, you know, the Raleigh Durham area, say, and and you know, maybe fresh out of college and they're gonna change the world. And there's nothing wrong with that. I love it. I love that energy. But they, they it's kind of like sending missionaries to a country that they've never been to before. They don't know the language or the cultures, and they're just gonna kind of come in and and do their thing, right? Asheville runs into that a lot because so many people want to live here. Mm -hmm. And it's a cool place to be. People come here, they visit, they're like, oh my gosh, you know, and Christians come here and visit and they're like, oh, it's my gosh, it's my dream to build a church and and reach all those lost people in Asheville for yes. Jesus. And, yes. Yes. and there, there is 
so much enthusiasm to come here and to live this live this life you know it's like it's like where the the groovy hipster cool city meets the 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 country raising chickens vibe you know and, <laughs> yeah, and because, yeah. because to a certain extent it's it's both it's a small enough place where you, I mean you can be from downtown to wilderness in 15 minutes no problem yeah. so so people oftentimes come here kind of wanting to have it all but the problem is that you can't come here assuming that you're going to plant a church that would be successful in suburban Charlotte, for example. Yeah. Um, people here are very open about their needs. They they're not going to toe the line just to just to look good. And we do have a need for a certain kind of church, but it's not what's already here. And the problem is so many of those churches that come in end up planting more of the same. Um, and even if they start out one way, I think when things get hard and messy, they start reverting back to a template because that's the easier way to do it. And because they're not talking to the people in front of them, they're talking to the people back at the mothership who are telling them what they need to do. You know, one of the things that I, I really noticed in at first, I thought it was just a, a youth thing because the original church planter for this particular church plant, when he got here, he was still in his 20s. And and I thought, well, I thought some things, maybe this is just youth. This is just inexperience. He had so much energy and so much passion. And he was... He was an evangelist, but he wasn't a pastor. Mm. And, and that is the thing that I know I've written it here is in we talk, you talk, you mentioned this here with the know what a church is. These people came in, they weren't planting a church. They were planting an evangelism center, a missions organization. The the second lead pastor was was big into foreign missions and so right off the bat he was like you know I my only regret is that we don't have more money to send to foreign missions and I'm sitting here going you you have an entire congregation of absolutely worn out exhausted people who have been through a lot in front of you and all you can talk about is foreign missions mm. and saying that yeah. We don't judge our success by seating capacity, but by sending capacity. And it's like, what about the people right in front of you? Yeah. yeah. Um, and that was, I to me, that was the biggest issue is that there was no understanding of how to care for the people right in front of them. Mm. We were always told to get out there and bring the lost to church and and finally, I had a meeting with the pastor and I said, wonderful, but how do we care for them once they're in the church? He had no words for that. It was obvious that caring for the people within the congregation was not on his agenda. Hmm. Yeah. And 
and I was like, I, I think our understanding of what church is, is so massively different. If I can, I, I was reading in Eugene Peterson's Under the Unpredictable Plant. You can always quote Eugene Peterson. Always, I, always I, appropriate. <laughs> he says, why do pastors so often treat congregations with the impatience and violence of developers building a shopping mall instead of the patient devotion of a farmer cultivating a field? The shopping mall will be abandoned in disrepair in 50 years. The field will be healthy and productive for another thousand if its mysteries are respected by a skilled farmer. Pastors are assigned by the church to care for congregations, not exploit them, to gently cultivate parishes that are plantings of the Lord not brashly develop religious shopping malls. Uh, so good. Yeah. And that that is what we saw happening was was the push you're you're never doing enough. You got to get out there. You and and eventually as as things kind of were beginning to unravel, it ended up with sermon really harsh, sometimes passive aggressive, but really harsh sermons along the lines of the Mark Driscoll, <laughs> you suck, you know, sort of, sort of sermon. And it was absolutely devastating. You know, I, I'm sorry. That's why I feel so strongly about this. <laughs> yeah. because it, what set out to be, oh, we're bringing life to all these people in a certain sense brought a lot of death, a lot yeah. of harm. Yeah. I'm sorry for that. Yeah. So, such important points about uh, the mission of the church and how it gets confused with, um, again, this kind of, you know, template of this is what the church should be doing. And we're going to check off these boxes without really paying attention to what's going on with the people sitting in your pews every week. I, you know, one one of the things uh, it made me think of uh, something else that you had written in the in the post you made about the church being a hospital. I am that G Jesus started that idea, right? When when Jesus came, I I came for for the sick, not for the healthy. Of course, he meant many things by that. But um, uh, and you wrote here, if you dash out of the gate to rake in large numbers of unbelievers without having established a church, you are courting disaster. It's like running to the battlefield, dragging the injured to the site where you plan on building a hospital someday. I was just really, I was like, whoa, yes, that is, yes. Because, you know, so many of these church plants have this idea, like, like you're describing where it's like, oh, we're going to save the lost and we're going to take this community for Christ. And, you know, we're going to bring this nation back to Jesus, right? Like all those, these kind of battle cries and it's all well and good. I absolutely believe they believe that that's what they're called to do. And, and in many ways we are, but like your, you said before, what are we doing with them once they're here? So let's bring these people in. But then are we going to actually help to heal them? Are we actually going to be about the work of the father and healing what it is that they, they're bringing in with them? And healing is not even in that framework. For a lot of these church 
plant, I believe, at least numbers one and two that I've been involved in, healing was not part of the conversation. Yeah. Because the the idea was they just need Jesus. Yeah. They just need Jesus. They and or they're not being discipled right, or they need to be more obedient. Yeah. And uh, and again, it came coming down with the really the hammer on people if they were struggling and basically being angry at people within the congregation who were struggling, because mm-hmm. that meant you're taking any energy away from the mission of the church to reach the lost out there. Diane Langberg, who is my hero says that trauma is the mission field of our time. Yes. I can think of no better way to meet people where they are than to understand trauma. Yeah. And there are plenty of people within the church with plenty of trauma. And to be able to care for people from that framework is absolutely essential. The book that I have been pushing for the past several months is Janine McConaughey. Um, McConaughey? McConaughey. I'm sorry, Janine, if you're listening. <laughs> I've, I've never heard you pronounce your last name. Anyway, her book, Trauma in the Pews. Mm, yeah. Absolutely essential at understanding this. And she has a whole chapter on what does it look like in the church to not just be trauma informed, but trauma responsive and to be able to create a community that is a safe and healing place for people. I think again, churches do so much damage when they won't even go there. I think probably my first really disillusioning experience with a church was in 1988. I'd been a believer seven years. I was newly married. We we're in a PCA church, and I, it was my turn to give my testimony in our small group. Mm-hmm. And the guy before me had shared his testimony. He'd been a biker and into drugs and everybody's like, oh, isn't that wonderful how Jesus saved you? You know, he was getting all these accolades and all that stuff. And my turn was next. And so I shared my life story, which was messy in it, but it didn't include those types of things. It included uh, much more trauma-based situations with family dynamics and mental health issues. I became a believer when I was hospitalized with an eating disorder in high school. Mm. Nobody spoke to me again. Uh, It was like what I had just shared was so outside of their comfort zone. mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like, don't show me your scar. Ooh, that makes me that gives me the heebie-jeebies. Um, and we we cannot be afraid of these hard topics in mm-hmm. church. Mm-hmm. I feel very strongly that churches have to be able to talk about this hard stuff, yeah. to know that it's there, and and to not shy away from it just because it's messy. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm so sorry for for that experience. Um, 
I certainly can relate to that uh, in my own story and have had those experiences where you share things in what you think is a safe space and and you find that it's not as safe as you thought it was or should be. And then when you call them out on that, it becomes a hostile space. Right, right. So um, yeah, we, we've, I think many of us have learned that the hard way. And I, I you know, Diane Langworth's work, of course, uh, is so relevant for our times now. She's been a prophet for a long time about what's been coming. And this kind of, I, I, I think there's been a cultural shift in my lifetime. I'm going to be 50 this year. And so I've seen some things in my 15 years and I've been paying attention. And even in the last 10 years, give or take, I, I've seen a significant shift in just the numbers of people who are willing to talk about trauma, who are willing to go there mm-hmm. within the church. Like in the broader culture, it's always kind of been there. I, I mean, not to the extent it is now, but within the church, anytime you bring up something that's difficult, you know, whether it's, it's almost always about abuse of some kind, whether it's domestic violence, sexual assault, any of those kinds of things. Like anytime that's brought up, it's just, you know, this immediate kind of hush, right? Like there's this sense of, we only whisper these things, right? We only talk about it behind closed doors. That has definitely clearly shifted for better or for worse. Because part of what you and I are talking about here is that the church isn't prepared for it. Uh-uh. Right. So you bring these, you bring people who are willing to talk about these things into a church environment that they think should be a safe harbor for us, and we find that the people that are sitting in the pews for decades are not ready to have these conversations. They don't have, they don't have the the. They're not informed. They don't have the language. That they don't have the the ability to um, de-escalate situations when they, you know, I, I they, they, so. all of the skills, the tools that they need to have these conversations well and in a godly manner. They they don't. They're not ready. Mm-hmm. And so much of that is it's just a taboo topics. You know, I know um, within the circles that my husband grew up in you know, in, in most of the the PCA churches we were in, you had a long line of people who had strong, strong theological understanding about things as, as good PCA people do. But anything having to do the, with the messy part of life w- was just off limits for even talking about so that a lot of these people, a lot of these leaders had no frame of reference for understanding anything that that somebody's going through. And an example, you know, he was talking to a a man who was a high school teacher who said, "Oh yes, every year I I ha- give the seniors of the high school a, a lecture you know, on sex. If you wait, it will be great." You know, regarding sex. That was his experience when he had gotten married in the 70s. You know, Matt was like, but do you understand that that is not everybody else's experience? And he couldn't understand why. Well, if you have, you might even have people who don't have sex before marriage, but if one or both of them have a history of sexual trauma in their past, 
it might make sex a more complicated thing. You know, it's not a guarantee. That had never crossed his mind. It wasn't that he had disagreed with it, but it never crossed his mind because in the, those circles, you don't talk about that. You don't talk about anything but your, you, you know, you, you got to get your doctrine right and you kind of leave it at that. So you end up with a lot of leaders who are convinced that they were equipped because of their theological knowledge to handle any situation before them with people who they are given to shepherd these people and and it's just a disaster because they don't understand so much of the the vast complexity of life because they've been stuck over here in the kind of theological ivory tower instead of really understanding the spectrum of human experience yeah that makes sense yeah absolutely absolutely so, so much of my experiences have certainly made me more aware of how much I don't know and how much more there is to understand about people and where they're coming from and all the multiple complex layers of humanity. I mean, uh -huh. there's, just, there's just so many ways to understand how people work for for some of these guys obviously not all but um you know for some of these guys they, they've never really experienced life outside of this bubble that they've been in they've never really had long conversations with people who've had a completely different experience from them uh -huh. in a way where it's not they're sitting with this person in order to convert them right Right. It's I'm sitting with you to understand this very complicated story that you have. And how does that inform the way that I I minister to you as a person and not expect you to come to my side of things? Right. Um, exactly. Exactly. I this morning, I for some reason, I recalled that I had written something several years ago that is right. What we're talking about. Back in 2015, I, I did a I wrote a blog post called A Letter to Young Pastors because even and it's funny because this was before the my check second church planting experience, but it was just something I had seen. For all the advice to make yourself a student of God's word, along with that, I would highly recommend you make yourself a student of people. Because ministry is not just a bunch of impressing sounding words and lofty theologies. Ministry is people. Because ministry is not just about checking all the boxes. As a good Christian, ministry is people. Because ministry is not just a spiritual stepping stone to a successful career. Ministry is people. Knowing people is essential. There is so much variation in how God made us in our temperament, gifts, our life experiences. Learn. Learn from people. It takes humility to learn from others. That may be hard. From what I hear, it is easy to come out of seminary convinced you have all the answers to life's questions wrapped up in a tidy package. The truth is we all have more questions than answers. 
ask questions, listen to people, listen to their stories, refrain from wanting to fix them or give quick answers to their questions. Learn about people and about how God made people. It warmed my heart to see a young pastor, a friend of mine, post an article on Facebook about introverts with the comment, I am beginning to understand. Seek out information on things you don't understand. What happens to a woman's heart when her husband is unfaithful? What happens to children whose father walks out the door or dies before their eyes or spends years in prison? What happens to someone who is physically or emotionally or sexually abused by those she trusts? What happens to a man's sense of worth when he loses his job and can no longer provide for his family? What makes some people seek to lose themselves in a world of drugs or alcohol? What pain do they flee? What is it like to be in rehab, to be at war, to come home from war more wounded inside than out? What do young women go through when faced with an unplanned pregnancy? What does that kind of panic and helplessness really feel like? What is it like to give up a child you grew inside or walk past the protesters and have an abortion? What is it like to keep that baby and raise it on your own? What makes a man abuse the woman he vowed to honor and cherish? What is it like to learn differently from everybody else and to feel like the odd one out all your life? What is it like to be the last one left when every friend of yours has died? What is it like to be the only single person in your entire group of friends? To always be the last one picked for a team? With me. What is it like to struggle with mental illness, to face racial prejudice, to be beaten while you are down? Every time you listen, you learn, and every time you learn, you're expanding your ability to care for others. And people know if you care. Yeah, that's great. I'll make sure that I, I post the links in the, the show notes so people can go back to that because that has so much wisdom. You know, at the kind of the bottom line of all of this is having a shepherd's heart. Yeah. And I really, I really like how you earlier said something about being an evangelist as opposed to a shepherd or, or as opposed to a pastor. Yeah. Because I do think. And I have to think about this more because I just really like the way you put that because I do think in some ways, and, and we've all been talking about it with the whole Mark Driscoll thing with X29, all the, the mega churches that have kind of been in the news a lot. We we talk about this a lot. There, there's a, a gifting, a set of gifts that church planters tend to have from the beginning that may serve well in growing a church in size, but doesn't necessarily serve well in ministering to the people. Right. Right. And so that that's kind of, in, in my mind, it's kind of the, the disconnect. I, I would put it this way. It's like it's a disconnect between the mission and the values. What is a church do once it's a church like what what are we supposed to be doing for the people who come through our doors 
and we kind of get into this, like you were talking about, like we're we're trying to reach the lost, you know, go go get those heathens and bring them in, right? And I, I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but, uh, you know, it's kind of this like Billy Graham crusade, like that's, that's how this big crusade, let's save all these people. But then what? What do we do with them, right? Yes. And so it's kind of this disconnect now, like the people who are in your pews are also your mission. Yes. Right? And, and, and I think a lot of the, the people who are doing the church planting lose sight of that. Like, like mm-hmm. I'm saying, it's just, mm-hmm. they kind of lose sight of, it's not about getting this church bigger and bigger and bigger as if that's the metric for success. And I think that is a real problem with a lot of these church planting networks are the numerical metrics because that second experience was one that was part of a church planting network they would report on size each church report on how many people are coming and size and and the number of baptisms because the baptist church they were all about the baptisms and i think that's that's what changed from the original intent to what it became whether it was the pressure from on high or what was to get from here to there when the the second lead pastor came in probably the first major red flag i saw he wrote it. Well, there were so many. I don't know if it's the first, but I just remember when I opened up an email and he had all these goals for the church. And one of them was 25 baptisms by the end of the year. It's like, how, how do you put God on some sort of abacus here to be counting your, your successes? And that, that was so repulsive to me to see it that way. I mean, he was, he, they were all about strategy. They, he did the thing about if you're off by one degree, when you shoot, when, if, if you're flying to the moon, you're off by one degree, you'll miss the moon by a thousand miles or whatever it is. And I was like, this is the kingdom of God. This is not a physics experiment. I haven't said a whole lot about the church I'm in now. It is, it's an EPC church plant. It was started during the pandemic, but one of, one of the things that I love so much about it is our pastor said pretty much at the beginning, we don't have a blueprint. We're letting God lead us in this. And it has been beautiful because number one, we're we're all local people who know what the community needs because it's the same thing that we need. We need a a place that is safe where we can tell our stories and won't be ostracized. We know what it's like to have had these experiences. Again, Eugene Peterson, sorry, I'm on a Eugene Peterson jag the past few years. He he has a a thing in one of the books that talks about his idea of, of something being, his ministry being intently haphazard. And like a dog following a scent. And I fell in love with that because it is, it is you, you might start out thinking you're going one direction and you end up going another. I mean, I think we started out probably 
with a little more of a hoping to go a little more multicultural, which is hard in Asheville because Asheville is is not a racially diverse place at all. But our ministry has ended up being to for currently and formerly incarcerated women. And it is beautiful what mm-hmm. is happening there. We didn't it didn't start out that way. Yeah. But yeah. it's kind of where God led us through various opportunities. And it has been a, a beautiful, a beautiful thing. And again, talk about expanding our frame of reference. I had no clue the obstacles people coming out of incarceration are up against. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything is stacked against them. And gosh, I I feel like my, my world has exploded in just understanding that. But again, understanding trauma is absolutely essential because they all have trauma and they're, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, the, the, the metric of we're going to have these numbers and we're going to judge our success on this and, and our success on growth, you know, the fastest growing trees out there are the weakest. Mm -hmm. You know, people like to plant Bradford pears, which can stink up a storm. But one of the reasons they (laughs) plant them is because they grow fast. Well, if you've never seen a Bradford pear when you get a snow in the middle of April, they can't handle weight. They just split. I mean, it can look like a bomb went off in one Mm -hmm. of those trees. You know, it's the slow growing trees that are the ones that are around for 200 years. Yeah, not the flat, fast growing, but everybody wants a fast growing tree. Yeah. Everybody wants a fast growing church, and I just I'm not convinced that's that's the way to build a, a true body of believers. I I love that metaphor, Jenny, uh, because it's it's certainly been on my heart to you know this idea of like just growing slowly and deliberately and intentionally, uh, being prepared and like you're saying, like being open to where God's leading, looking for where He is, opening a door, like like you're saying with this the the incarcerated women ministry, it's. Like no, there were a few church plants that come in, like, we're going to start a ministry to, <laughs> to incarcerated women, right? Like, that's not usually on the blueprint, right? So it, it's, I love it. I love it. It's mm-hmm. meeting, looking for and meeting the needs that are actually there. Like we said earlier, it's getting to know the area. What what are what are some of the needs that are not being met right now? And I, I think mm-hmm. that's fantastic. It was like, I think they they have a lot of, lofty ideas but rolling up your sleeves and doing the hard work is um is a different thing altogether yeah and 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 they're they're not equipped to do it and sometimes I don't think they even want to be equipped to do Mm -hmm. it unfortunately well, it, it begs the question, right? Because uh, it's easy enough to say, well, I want to be about these things. Like, I I want to end homelessness. Like, right? That That's something that, that all churches want to say. Like, we want to end homelessness. Okay. <laughs> well, um, have, you, what, have you done the research? Have you invited uh, people who have been involved in homeless advocacy for decades to come and talk to you about 
what role the church can play in that or have you just mm-hmm. served in a soup kitchen once a month right like right. and there's nothing wrong with don't get me wrong of course please go serve in a soup kitchen once a month but you know we, we can easily like you said have these kind of lofty ideas of we're going to come in here and we're going to change the world and and we would make fun of you know college students who say something like that right but at the same time it's like is our church or, is our church any different from that we just right. have these kind of this idealism pie in the sky like yeah we know we know what's broken in the world we have we have a pretty good idea of what's broken but we are not very good at actually knowing how to repair it mm-hmm. we don't you know i mean i i think of uh maybe analogy could be like a watchmaker who has studied watches, who knows what he's doing, who could take this watch, who could tell you exactly what's wrong with it and can fix it. Uh, it's very different from, from you know, the way we can, churches kind of approach very complex problems like, oh, well, I'll, you know, just, just preach the gospel and everything will get fixed. Yeah. Right. Un- unplanned pregnancy, for example, you know, yeah. I mean, right. yeah, not, yeah. <laughs> you can't go down there, but boy, yeah, there is, there is such a need and there is so much shaming and it is so lonely and they don't just need free diapers and packages of wipes. Yeah. They need yeah. a community yeah. over the long haul. Yeah. Over, you know, and you know, it's it's funny you say that because this is also a rabbit trail. Like uh so my my husband uh was previously married and when he uh got divorced and and then um he actually was diagnosed with cancer soon after the divorce. And so his church at the time, you know, would would do like a meal train for him while he was going through chemo. And he he's shared this before, so I think I can share it. Um He's talked about like the way that churches respond to deeply traumatizing events in your life is to fill your freezer with casseroles. <laughs> and Depending I love- on the, if they're the right traumatizing events. Right. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. if your no, husband yeah. leaves you, they don't. But if he dies, they do. Well, there's that. There is that. That <laughs> part, Diddy, that part. <laughs> Because yes, it's absolutely. I mean, in his case, uh, and not to not to throw that church under the bus, they they do a lot of good things. But you know, at the time, it was like the divorce itself was not enough for them to mobilize, right? And the events of the divorce were not enough to mobilize. It wasn't until he got he also got the cancer diagnosis, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. they suddenly knew what to do, right? Mm-hmm. Then suddenly there was a meal train coming. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's certainly like you need to have the right kind of trauma for them for right. for a lot of churches to respond, which is just deeply deeply troubling. You know, I I do believe in learning from the negatives, and I also believe in learning from positives. And I love how you're you're talking about your current church, and I'm assuming you're you're still part. Of, you said yes. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. The the EPC church and just the heart of that church and looking for needs in their community, figuring out if they're able, because you know some churches just not able mm-hmm. to meet needs that come across their path, and so what do we we have to figure out ways to actually be capable of doing this work and then th- throwing the resources at it. Like, you know, we're not going to just write a check for this problem every month. We're going to actually 
get involved, we're going to get trained, we're going to become advocates for this issue, we're going to figure out ways that we and can educate. And it's important to be able to partner with so many other people doing yeah. this. And that's one thing that I have seen is a lot of churches are a little nervous about partnering with secular organizations. Yes. Yes. Oh man, and... that could be a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But sure. but you know, what's amazing is, you know, I I was on a, a committee at Help Made Our Local Domestic Abuse Organization and we know know some people there and they've sent people to our church because mm -hmm. they know now that we are a safe church. Yeah. for women yeah. who are leaving abusive relationships, you yeah. know, and that you can't say that about a lot of conservative churches, yeah. you know, so it, it does end up with some really beautiful collaboration. If they start wondering, well, why do you love these people so much? I mean, we can talk about Jesus. Yeah, that's a much better way of talking about Jesus than than walking up to people and trying to evangelize them. You yeah, know, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's that's how we do it is is by loving people. Yeah, absolutely. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Let's do that. Let's do that. Love people and where they're at. I, I I love knowing that there are churches trying to do that work and and I love hearing your story about your experiences and how you've you've taken those things to to glean what you can and and offering the wisdom that you've gained through the years and and thank you for doing that it can it can get really easy i think especially for us as women especially in the circles that we run in it's easy for us to get really frustrated and then uh just stop just stop pushing mm -hmm. stop talking stop you know just kind of turn away from you know, kind of turn away from the fight and and move on and be bitter about it and this there's a time for that. There's there's room for that. I, I think uh -huh. for sure. But then the but then there's this sense of we have gained all this wisdom, we've gained experience, and we just need people in charge. I use that term with all the the complexity of that. Um, you know, the people with real authority who make the decisions at the end of the day. We just we just want them to listen and to consider what mm -hmm. what we have to say and what we have to offer, mm -hmm. and the humblest and most gracious and kind men in our midst absolutely will listen to us, mm -hmm. and will absolutely consider everything that we're bringing to the table. And I I've seen that. I, I think you've seen that happen. Um, I hope you've seen it happen. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. I mean because we are in an EPC church plant now, and that was one of the the primary things that our pastor wanted in this church was he wanted to elevate the voices of women. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it has been wonderful. I, I have, I've never been in a church where I felt that my words mattered before. Mm -hmm. And, and for personally, for me, it's been very healing to to be in that space because years ago I was reading an article about 
pornography. And I know in my church planting one-on-one post, I talk about making sure, you know, in these complementarian spaces, make sure that women are cared for because it is so easy for women to just be kind of forgotten. Men are uncomfortable being in, in the company of women. And my experience has been, oh, your husband has to come along too, so I can meet with you. And then he talks to my husband the whole time. And I'm just like, okay, whatever. And so you have women who aren't being shepherded because that's a dangerous thing or whatever. Several years ago, I was reading an article about pornography and the guy said this, he said, uh, regarding women, women in pornographic video film says, but their hearts, minds, opinions, experiences, feelings, and everything else that makes them self-consciously who they are is completely irrelevant. Mm-hmm. And that's what pornography does to women. Mm-hmm. That's that's my experience in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will, I will have to say at this point, I... It has been incredibly healing for me to be in a space where my heart, my mind, my opinions, my experience matters. Yeah. It it has been it has been an absolutely wonderful thing. I get to be able to use my voice. <laughs> you know, I just I found, you know, that that to be really healing for me yeah. to be in a space where where my words matter. You can come out of those those churches unless you have unless you have men who see that and see how oftentimes dehumanizing it is to be a woman in those spaces. Unless you have men like that, it can be just almost soul crushing to be in spaces where where you really don't matter. Yeah, it is soul crushing. It really it is taking your soul and saying, we we see that your soul is there, but we're not going to pay attention to it. We're not going to listen to it. Mm-hmm. We're going to ignore it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just going to kind of pat it on the head. <laughs> we'll, it ignore it or, we'll ignore it or correct it. Yes. Those are right. our two options, ignore right. or correct. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Man. But it it is beautiful when it happens the way that that it should, the way that Jesus, when he was here on this earth himself, listened to women, spoke with women, met women where they were at, and elevated them and their voices, which I think is a beautiful thing. So yeah, I'm glad that you are experiencing that now. And that could be a whole other podcast too. (laughs) Uh, and, And maybe it will be sometime. Thank you again. There, there's so much here. There's so much here to unpack. We could probably talk for another hour, but I, I won't. <laughs> but yeah, I thank you again for sharing all this. I'll post links to what you wrote and, and to a couple of the, the quotes that you, uh, some of the resources that you referred to, because I, I love it. I love thinking through these things. And I would just encourage everyone listening to this to think through, I mean, just even taking one or two of these ideas and just really digging into them and saying, what, what are we doing about this as a church? What, what are we, how are we thinking about this? 
uh, in our context? Does this apply to us? Does it not? I mean, that mm-hmm. those kinds of questions I think are really important for church right. leaders to, yeah. to yeah. think about. Thank, thank you so much uh, for sharing all of this and for sharing your heart. I, I loved it and I love what you have to say and keep, keep it up. I know it's hard at times, but thank you for your voice. Oh, and thank you. I really appreciate this opportunity.